वेलकम टू वाइब माइंड बॉडी एंड ऑन्टरप्रन्योरशिप पॉडकास्ट आम योर होस्ट बिंकी लूम्बा अ रियल स्टेट इन्वेस्टर आई लव कनेक्टिंग एंड एजुकेटिंग पीपल ऑन हाउ टू क्रिएट अ पैसिव इनकम स्ट्रीम आई एम राजू दातला एंड आई हेल्प रियल्टर्स रियल स्टेट इन्वेस्टर्स इंक्रीज देर रेवेन्यू आई ऑल्सो एंजॉय कनेक्टिंग विद पीपल एंड बिल्डिंग लॉन्ग टर्म रिलेशनशिप वी ब्रिंग इंडस्ट्री प्रोफेशनल थॉट लीडर्स एंड एक्सपर्ट्स टू डिस्कस हाउ आर माइंड and body plays a big role in our daily decisions big or small through this podcast our purpose is to make people aware and educate them to make wise decisions for their investments and take correct steps towards their entrepreneurial journey are you ready for a great episode please keep listening we have a free gift for you at the end and also don't forget to subscribe to our show Good afternoon everybody. Uh today we have Dr. Jamil Sayaj with us. Dr. Jamil Sayaj is an international life, business and relationship coach. Uh he's an integrative naturopathic physician, master NLP practitioner and author of 20 steps to your next breakthrough. He works with leaders and high performance from all walks of life, including world champion athletes, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs business professionals and more to create an extraordinary life without regret welcome dr jamil thank you so much vicky and raju pleasure to be with you and all the listeners today thank you dr jamil for joining us so let's start from how you started so young your childhood and how you got into the whole coaching field i i love that yeah for sure and so kind of big picture i guess i'll start with to add to the 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 intro which thank you so much for sharing it you know the intro is kind of what i do in a big picture and then there's why i do it and i think it's where i'm coming from and i think that's really important when we know where somebody's coming from it gives us an idea of who that person is and so for me my journey really started in terms of the professional work i do when i was 14 and i had just started high school and i became a track and field athlete a runner and i never really ran intentionally <laughs> i was a baseball guy and i didn't really do that and so i had a lot of fun with it and at the same time i know i noticed that my performances were really poor i was getting sick all the time i wasn't feeling well and i started questioning what's going on you know i'm putting in the work i'm training 2 3 hours a day but i'm not getting any better and if anything i feel really crappy <laughs> and so it overnight i had this like intuition it just kind of hit me and it said maybe it's my diet it's what i'm eating it's my lifestyle and i already wasn't sleeping much i wasn't really drinking water i was eating really poorly and the internet you know youtube i think just came out it was around 2004 and i sat there thinking all right let me look it up and all these physicians were this is a great diet this is a healthy way to live and i sat there thinking not doing that not doing that not doing that <laughs> and i realized maybe this is something to do with it and so i made some quick changes some overnight some longer it took a couple of years but i stopped getting sick i started running a lot faster i started feeling so much better and i'm sleeping better and i started thinking wow I'm probably just scratching the surface is definitely more. So that led me down the health, you know, kind of journey in the beginning. And over that year from 14 to 15, I started helping a lot of family, friends, friends of family, people in my class, they would have medical conditions themselves or their family would and they would say, "Hey, what can I do about this?" And I spent so much time studying nutrition, lifestyle medicine, things of that nature. I was like, "Well, you could you could do this, this and this and try that out. See how it goes." and then i would hear back later a couple of weeks a month six months 
they got off their medication, they lost a lot of weight, their, their doctor's like, whatever you're doing, keep doing it. And that was so reassuring for me. And it felt like, wow, like not only is my life improving, but I'm able to help other people with this. This feels really good. I didn't know what a coach was at the time, but I was working with these people. I was following up with them. We were having sessions and we were talking and I was coaching. I just didn't know I was doing that. I was just helping. And then around 15, I started thinking, what are the other areas of a really fulfilling life? And relationships came to mind. And I thought, you know, there are people who are 90 years old. They've been married since they were 17. And there's so much love. There's so much passion. There's a spark in their relationship. And there's other people that are on their, their fifth divorce. And they're wondering why they can't make a relationship last. And I thought, you know, what is that? What's the difference that makes the difference? So I went down on that. I went down on a hunt on that. And I started figuring out, all right, who are the top marriage therapists, dating coaches in the world? Let me buy their books. Let me buy their DVD courses. Let me learn from them and train with them. And that was amazing because just like with health, I started being in conversation with people and they'd say, what are you up to? And I would tell them and they'd say, you know, my husband and I, my wife and I, my boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever the case may be, we're having issues. And I would give them some tips, some pointers. We'd go back and forth. And eventually I'm mediating a conversation, helping them communicate. And I was only 15 and I would have people telling me six months later, a year later, you know, we didn't get a divorce and it's because of what you helped us with. And just like with health, that felt so good because I was seeing the positive result of this work that I was doing. So not only was I passionate about it, but people were getting help, which made me want to do it even more. Mm -hmm. Then around that time, 15-ish, I found out about Tony Robbins and Les Brown, neuro-linguistic programming, which is NLP, like Vinky mentioned earlier. And if anyone's not familiar, just think of it as it's the study really of excellence, how the highest performers in the world create the results that they have in their life. And the idea being, if they can do it, you can too. If they can do it, they're thinking a certain way. They're, they're, they're using their body in a certain way. And when they do it in that way, they get a certain result. And that result can be predictable if you follow a similar system. And so think about it, big picture like that. And so I was watching Tony Robbins and people like him get results for people in 20 minutes, in a half hour, in an hour, that traditional therapy 10, 20, 30 years wasn't getting. And that's not a knock on therapy. Therapy is great when it's indicated, but it's not the only tool. And so I thought, wow, this is incredible. I want to learn about this. So I did, you know, up until probably 23, 24, up until that point was just self-study in NLP and psychology and high performance. And it expanded when it came to health was a side of it, relationships were a side of it. But then there was this mental, emotional motivation, inspiration, this type of how can I help you overcome any, any what, what word do I like? Limiting beliefs, any beliefs that you have from childhood, from your journey in life thus far that have been holding you back. Mm-hmm. And that continued until I was 19. And then when I was 19, that was really the biggest transition point in my life to date. When I was 19, I was a sophomore and undergraduate in New York City in the Bronx, and my dad had a brain aneurysm. Wow. And for anyone who's not familiar with it, imagine it, a blood vessel in, a blood vessel in your brain, think of it like a tube, and a side of it kind of balloons out and if you're fortunate, you have a really bad headache and you go to the hospital, they take care of it and you're, you're okay. But my dad wasn't as fortunate and his ruptured. And when that aneurysm ruptured, he got rushed to the hospital and he was in a four hour brain surgery. And in that surgery, we were told the chances of survival were less than 5%. And I remember being in the hospital with, with my mom and sister and a lot of my cousins and uncles that were there too. And a lot of people were medical, some family, some not. And they, I guess, were trying to give me fair warning because they had an idea of how severe it was. But I was 19 and, you know, I was really clinging to any hope that he'd be all right. 
and a lot of people telling me probably wasn't going to make it wasn't helpful when I was trying to be there for my mom and sister and be strong for them. And after the surgery, he survived. And that was already a miracle. And we walked into the room and he was in a coma. And we were told by the doctor, you know, he's in a really critical stage right now and he could die at any moment. We don't know how long he has. If he survives the next like two weeks, Mm -hmm. then it'll probably get better, but we don't know. Mm -hmm. And in that moment, I walk into that room. You know, my dad was a family practice physician himself. He was 49 at the time, but he was also one of the top Elvis impersonators in the world. Mm -hmm. And music for him was his biggest passion. You know, he loves people and he had the greatest bedside manner. You can imagine all of his patients loved him, but music was always his passion. He was a drummer, all county, all state growing up. And, you know, music was his thing. And he toured with Elvis's band, like he was up there and um, he put smiles on everyone's face wherever he went. And here is this guy, larger than life, personality, so much energy. And now he's laying in bed and he's in a coma and his head is shaven, like a train hit him. And I sat there feeling immense helplessness because I wanted to do something. You know, this is my dad. This was the guy who, like in my mind, this is the epitome of what it means to like be a man. This is my rock. This is the guy I can count on. And there he was in the most like fragile position I've ever seen a human being. And so I couldn't do anything. All I could do was watch and wait and pray. And the second feeling that came was this immense regret. And that stemmed from me feeling like I took my relationship with my dad for granted. You know, being 19, my mindset at the time was school. It was athletics, like track. It was my friends. It was video games. It was movies. It was things that a lot of people my age did at the time. And it wasn't, you know, you know, treasure every day because it might be your last. Like that was the furthest thing from my mind. And I was always thinking, I fell into this trap that the Dalai Lama talks about whenever I share this story, that quote comes to mind where he says, most people live as if they're never going to die. And then they die having never really lived. And there I was thinking, oh yeah, I have time. You know, my dad's 49. He's going to 40 years, 50 years, not, you know, 40 days, 40 minutes. (laughs) I wasn't thinking like that. And now it felt like I wasn't going to have that opportunity again. It felt like I didn't really know him as well as I could have. And that really hurt. And in that moment, it's, it was like this awareness, like I messed up. And over the course of the next three years, he survived an extra three years and we helped him make almost a full recovery. And so much happened in those three years, you know, giving you the big picture. I got tested, you know, in every possible way. Anyone who's been a primary caregiver, I took two years off after college to be one of his primary caregivers. And it pushes you mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually, you start having frustrations and doubts and you get burned out and all these things can happen if you're not careful. And we went through, you know, the full gambit of all those emotions. And it was the highest highs and the lowest lows. There were days where I spent 10, 15 hours a day with them. And we both sang and played music together and we were laughing and doing physical therapy and I was holding the pads and he was boxing with me and it was amazing. And then there were times where he had short-term memory loss because of the aneurysm. There were times where he was prone to seizures and he would have seizures in my arms and we weren't sure if he was going to survive. There were moments where he forgot who I was. And I remember just how difficult those moments were. But one of the lessons that came from it is a, a true treasuring of the miracle that is life and the miracle that is every day. That every day when we wake up, statistically, 150,000 people aren't around today that were here yesterday. And every day when I woke up, I wasn't one of them. Every day when I woke up and my mom and dad were alive and my sister was alive and my grandma was alive, 
and all the other people that I love and care about, like I hit the lotto. Like I hit so much abundance right from the get-go when I have that perspective. And up until that point, I didn't have that perspective. And I remember the first year and a half or so going to bed at night, wondering, am I going to see my dad in the morning? And waking up in the morning as if it was a dream, thinking, did that really happen? Or is he going to be completely fine when I go downstairs? And there was this day by day, I can only take it one day at a time. So there was this, I have him for today. I don't know if he's going to be here tomorrow. How can I make the most of this? How can I let go of any frustrations or impatience I might be feeling because of the short-term memory loss and because of all these, you know, when you have somebody that believes that they're fully capable as they were before the aneurysm, but you know they're not, and they could have seizures and they could lose their balance, someone's got to be with them always. So there was a lot of uh, moments of stress and impatience, and at the same time, so much abundance and love. And I remember after the three years, you know, my dad passed away, and I went to the wake, and there was a five-hour wake, and I stood next to the casket, and over 7,000 people came. And I shook every single one of their hands, and a lot of them were patients or friends of my dad, people in the music industry, and a lot of people, almost everyone said, your dad saved my life. And I felt so humbled by that because most of them hadn't seen him since he was 49 or younger. And the impact that he had on so many people, it was just beautiful to see. And people who were different cultures, different ethnicities, different religious backgrounds, they were showing up and they were asking if they can pay, the, pay their respects and pray over the casket in their own way. And just to see his impact was truly not only international, but like, you know, cross-cultural and people from every walk of life was, were there. And I was like, wow, you know, I would love to have an impact like that. And up until that moment, the second realization that came to me was I, I was playing small, that I really cared too much about what other people thought about me and that I was afraid of rejection. You know, this idea of, I look at each of us, you have this divine spark within you. My favorite word is enthusiasm. And enthusiasm comes from ante theos, which means the God within. And when you radiate that enthusiasm, that God within, you're being the real you. But what most of us do from my experience is we have a mask. That's where persona comes from, personality, persona. You're wearing the mask. And the mask is, who do I need to be to be accepted? Who do I need to be to be enough, to be, to be loved, to be validated, to be normal in the eyes of society? And the challenge with that is when you're wearing the mask, you're not being you. And so when you're wearing the mask, even when you win, you lose. Because when you're wearing the mask, a win, you're still being inauthentic. You're not being you. And so then you get to the middle of your life, the end of your life, if you're, you know, most people's timeline, and you have this regret. You have this, what did I do? Like, that wasn't me. That wasn't my life. I was living other people's version of my life. I was being who you thought I was supposed to be, not who my heart wants to be. And I, I could tell in that moment at 22, when he passed, that I was doing that. I was helping people, and I, that was great. But in many ways, I was holding back. And it was like this aha moment, never again. And so I spent an extra year being at home, being with my family and kind of making sure everyone was situated. And then I still knew that I you know, wanted to follow in dad's footsteps and do medicine. And I was now I knew what coaching was. And so I still loved coaching. I was doing that in between. And I moved to Arizona and I spent five years in medical school there and got my license and went through that program and matured in a million different ways. And it was amazing. And that, you know, I moved back to New York after working there for a year and really committed to go all in on my coaching. You know, I always, uh, when I was younger, people said, what do you want to do when you grow up? And I said, take Tony Robbins, Dr. Oz, and smack them together. 
Mm-hmm. And like, that's what, that's a version of what I want to do. Obviously your dad has a dramatic impact on you, uh, on everything you're doing now. One thing. And then you kind of summed up or pretty much the theme of our show, by the way. Thank you. Wow. Uh, wow. That's a wonderful story, Jamil. I loved it. I loved every part of it. And just make one point over here. I'm going to relate it to the information technology because we are in that technology age. And then I liked it, how wonderfully you said, you know, because there's a, a triple constraints in life, your relationships, your health, and your success, or you say capital or money. If it's not in balance, this triangle is not in balance. There is a shift. One is going to shift, is going to affect the others. And yeah. that's how it works in a project management. I mean, I'm going to give you a high level view of the project management. You need to have the scope, the time and the resources. If the one is out of whack, the other two won't work either. So it's just like, to me, life is all about just like a project that you're managing a IT project, you're managing your life project. I love it. Yeah. And I seriously love it. Super awesome. Thank you. And to your point about, you know, some people will talk about balance as a, like a pipe dream or balance as an illusion in the sense that it's true in the sense that you're never going to have balance in everything because in order for you to do, when you say yes to something, there's an opportunity cost. You're saying no to something else. And yeah. so if, if I want to really go all in on my business, I'm going to have to put time into that. I'm going to have to put energy into that and, mo- and money and focus and all those things, which means I'm not, not putting it somewhere else. So it's really about prioritizing and getting clear what really matters right now. So somebody might say, you know, a client I worked with not too long ago, he's like, I have these kids two years old, four years old, eight years old. I don't want to miss their childhood. You know, my dad was always working. And so, yeah, he has a business and he runs it and he wants to make it really successful, but he also is aware. My kids are my priority right now because the ultimate reason I'm building all this is I want to do well by them and I want to take care of them. So I'm not going to miss out on their childhood and make that same mistake that I felt growing up with my dad. And so from that perspective, there's not going to be equal balance with business and relationship in that sense, but it doesn't matter because he's doing what's important to him. And so each of us can only determine for ourselves, where's our heart at? Where's our spirit at? What sets us alive? What brings us on fire? All that kind of stuff. I switched that around. Set you on fire, brings you alive, but you get the point. You know, (laughs) what does that for us? And it's going to be different for everybody. And when you can say at the end of the day, your head hits the pillow at night. Wow. What a day. When you can say, if I didn't wake up tomorrow, I'm okay with that. If I don't wake up tomorrow, I have lived a life that I'm really proud of. If I don't wake up tomorrow, the people that I love know that I love them. If I don't wake up tomorrow, I have taken advantage of all the opportunities. The thing, Of course, there might be still things that I want to do in the future, but I didn't allow fear to be the driver of my life up until this point. Mm-hmm. You can let fear drive you or you can let love drive you. And at the end of the day, what's driving the ship? If you're being led by passion and enthusiasm and excitement, well, that's a good indication. Love is driving the show. And you're feeling really good and you're appreciating and you're in gratitude. So much magic comes into your life. So much health and happiness and fulfillment and all those wonderful things. But if you're coming from this place of insufficiency, never enough. If you're coming from this place of I don't have enough time. If you're coming from this fear-based place, you can feel it. And internally, you know something's off. There's that internal voice. It's like like an internal GPS. Something in you is like, you look yourself in the mirror and you hear, 
what are you doing? You look yourself in the, in the mirror and you got this feeling of, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I can't keep doing this. And how long have you been telling yourself that? You know, Steve Jobs has a great quote where he says, every morning when I wake up, I look myself in the mirror and I say, if today was my last day on this earth, would I want to do what I'm about to do? And if the answer is no, too many days in a row, I know that something needs to change. Mm -hmm. Many of us are waking up every day, looking in the mirror and thinking, I don't want to do what I'm about to do today. And yet we don't do anything about it. How many yeah. of us look at our relationships and they aren't where we want them to be, but we're just kind of dealing with it. We're just accepting it. We're not doing anything about it. We don't like how maybe our physical body is. We're not as healthy as we'd like to be. We're not doing anything about it. You know, one thing I tell my clients frequently, everything in your life that you want, that you don't have, you don't have it because you're not committed to it. Mm -hmm. And from an ego place, sometimes people get a little hurt by that. And they think, what are you talking about? And they come up with a lot of reasons and justifications and excuses for why they don't have what they say they want. But this is the thing. You can be interested in something or you can be committed in it, committed to it. When you're interested, you're saying, you know, it would be really nice if I got that. It would be cool. It would be fun. If it's comfortable enough, I'll do it. But then once life gets challenging, once you face a roadblock, an obstacle, something doesn't go according to plan, and it gets a little bit difficult, you give up. You throw in the towel. It, it, it was hard, you say. But when you're committed, you don't quit. When you're thinking about it from the perspective of, let's say you're getting married, and there you are on the altar. And you look at this person that you love so much and you say to them everything you say and then you follow it with, I do. And then they look at you and they say, I'll try. <laughs> and if you were to sit there and think, like, what do you mean I'll try? Like, if you know I'll try, it doesn't work. You know when it comes to a relationship, especially a marriage, there needs to be a commitment. A commitment being, I love you, you love me, we're, we're, we're human, we're going to have our ups and downs, we're going to have our moments, but we're a team, we're in this together, we're going to we're going to build a beautiful life together, support each other through thick and thin, all that kind of stuff, better or worse, and yet I'll try has this kind of knowing behind it, if it gets hard, you're going to walk away, and in that same way, that's how much, most of us approach our goals. So when I say, if you don't have it, it's because you don't really want it. You're not committed to it. It's because of this. You either, you are committed to it, and it's just something that takes a long time to manifest. You're working at it for the next 10 years, and you're making progress every day, every week, every month. That's different. You don't have the end goal yet, but you're working toward it every day. In that sense, yes, you're committed to it, and you will have it. But most of the time, that's not what's happening. Most of the time, you tell me, I really want X. And I say, well, how long have you wanted that for? And you say, six months or, or six years or as long as I can remember. And I say, all right, well, what have you done about it so far? And you say, well, what do you mean? <laughs> and I say, well, you told me you want this in your business. You want this in your relationship. You want to make that kind of money. What have you done about that? What mentors have you sought out? What actions have you taken? What books have you read? What coaches have you hired? What seminars have you gone to? What videos have you watched? Free stuff, paid stuff, whatever. What have you done? You know, and they say, I haven't done anything. And it's like, and respectfully, you haven't done anything because you don't really want it. You don't want it more than you'd rather be comfortable. And I, I, I never say what I say out of judgment. It's always that just being a mirror. Be, like my job is to be truthful. My job is to be the person that serves you, not pleases you. I say what you would, would best serve you, even if you might get upset with it in the moment. 
Because when you hear the truth, the truth sets you free. You know, your life will change when you start telling yourself the truth. If you don't like any aspect of your life or your life can be, there's two sides of coaching. One side is there's things you don't like. You have challenges, you have problems, and you want to work through that and shift your life. Beautiful. The other side, life is great. Like you've built a dream for yourself and everything's going wonderful, but you know it can get bigger. You know it can get better. And that's, that's fun too. Two sides of that same coin. So now it's how are you showing up? If you don't like it, what are you doing about it? And if the answer is nothing, you know, you're lying to yourself. And you know, how much longer do you want to keep choosing to do that? And if the answer is like, not another day, you know, the story that comes to mind, there's a guy, he's walking down the street and there's a house with a porch. And there's a guy in a rocking chair and a dog. And the dog is kind of just yelling, crying, wailing. And the guy's looking at this dog and he says, is everything okay with your dog? And the owner says, he's sitting on a nail. <laughs> and the guy goes, why doesn't he move? And the owner says, it doesn't hurt bad enough yet. <laughs> and that's how most of us live our life. We don't exactly. like where we're at, but it doesn't hurt bad enough. We, we, we don't like where we're at, but it's okay. It's fine. Yeah. It's comfortable. Comfort. Yeah. But when you think of it from the perspective, you know, there's that old expression, are you living or are you just existing? Existing. When I existing, think of that extraordinary yeah. life without regret, that's not a life of just existing. That's a life of you shining that unique light that you are that nobody else in history, past, present, or future, will ever be able to duplicate. And you making an impact in the world in a way that means, that's meaningful to you. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I'll pause. So can you tell us, you know, how you stay so positive all the time? Yeah, I think that, um, I wouldn't say it's all the time, but I would say it's probably most of the time. And, I, and, it, and it wasn't an accident. And so that goes by, that goes with what we were just saying. A commitment is not something that you make once. A commitment is something that you recommit to every day, as long as it takes, assuming you still want it. And so, you know, years ago, especially right after my dad's situation, I made a commitment to myself right after he passed that I, I witnessed a lot of death in my life and I saw how a lot of people handled that. And it's not that there's a right and a wrong way to do it, but there's a way that serves us in a way that doesn't. And for me, I knew that suppressing my emotion wasn't going to serve me. And I knew that that was going to lead to a lot of health problems down the road and it was going to cause issues for me. And so I fully expressed my emotions and I allowed myself to be vulnerable and to cry and to talk things out and to just let it all out. And I did that. I didn't have a time frame on it. It ended up being two weeks and every day, essentially. And at the end of two weeks, I remember waking up with this, beautiful sense of peace that just kind of came over me. And um, I'd be able to look at pictures of my dad and hear audios of him singing and something shifted. Instead of why did this happen and you know all that kind of stuff, which was like the old story, there was this new story of I'm so grateful that he was in my life at all. I'm so grateful that I knew him. I'm so grateful that I got to call him my dad and that I learned the lessons and that I had the last three years to be with him and all these kind of things. And so perspective is really the key word. I look at that experience of my dad and I think the greatest gift my dad ever gave me is perspective. And it wasn't necessarily just from what he said. It was from his actions. It was from who he was being. It was from being with him in those experiences. And so ever since that time, I've maintained a perspective on just the beauty of life and the miraculousness of just this moment. What's your 
routine you keep that helps you be the effective coach you are and be the person you are and help other people? Mm. So I think that self-care is one of the most underrated things or undervalued things, let's say, that people don't do. And I'm going to get into the routine, but I want to preface it. Most people think self-care, excuse me, is selfish. You know, if I focus on me, if I take care of me, what about all these other people? I have a kid. I have kids, multiple kids. I've got a spouse. I've got a team that I lead, whatever the case may be. But in reality, self-care is the most selfless thing you can do. Because if you don't take care of you, you're going to burn out. If you don't take care of you, you can't help other people, whether it's family, business, clients, whatever the case may be. You're not going to be able to serve to the fullest extent that you can over the long term if you're not taking care of you. I like to use this as a, you know, this is my visual prop for the day. If I have this water bottle for anyone listening who can't see me, and I make sure it's closed so I don't drench my computer. If I've got this water bottle and it's filled up, well, I can give, right? And so let's say everyone is listening, their hands out and they want something from me. And I pour and I pour and I pour and I pour. And now it's like halfway. But maybe if I think self-care is selfish and I don't give to myself, I, the next day I still have only a half jar. And then same people come. And I give and I give and I give and I give. Now I'm at a quarter. And you keep that process going. Eventually I have a couple drops left. And now I'm starting to really feel tired. I'm starting to really feel burned out. So I'm thirsty and I open it up and I'm just like, and there's nothing in there. And I can't give to myself. And then people wonder why I get sick and I get tired and I can't keep it up. But if you shift that perspective to, I'm going to live to light myself up and I'm going to fill my cup up so much that my cup overflows. When my cup overflows, I give from the overflow. And when I give from the overflow, I can do that forever. And I can do that in a way that is never tiring, never exhausting. And I can sustain that. And so for me, the pretty much daily routine, you know, keeping it simple. First, there's foundational things that most people just overlook. Hydrating, stretching, sleeping, <laughs> making sure that I'm, I'm, my body is, and nutrition, taking care of my body. Meditation, meditation to really keep my focus on what matters most to me. There's a meditation that a mentor shared with me that I'd love to share with you guys, which I do this every day. And it was transformational for me when I learned it. And it's a 20 minute meditation. You can make it as long as you'd like, but it's four or five minute segments. And essentially the first segment is you allow yourself to just be in your presence. There's no thing you have to do. You just sit with it. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes people fall into a trap when they're trying to meditate in the beginning mm -hmm. where they think, you know, someone told me meditation means don't think about anything. <laughs> and so they sit there and they try not to think. But what that's doing is you're in resistance to your thoughts and whatever you resist, you give energy to. And what you give energy to expands. And so when you're saying, I shouldn't be thinking right now, and you're thinking, which is a thought in and of itself, but if you're saying that, you're thinking, and then you judge yourself for it as it's bad, what ends up happening is you have this internal war in your mind, you have no peace going on, and you're not meditating, you're just kind of arguing with yourself. But that first step is, let me just allow whatever thoughts to be there, to be there. And then what ends up happening is when you allow it to be, they slowly start to disappear. Your mind starts to get quiet. And in this 20 minute you know, frame, first five minutes, you're just present. Second five minutes, you actively appreciate 
the people in your life, the opportunities in your life, the challenges that you've been through and overcome, anything that you'd like. It could be the same thing every day, family, friends, spouse, all that kind of stuff, or it can be something hyper-specific just for that day. Mm-hmm. But you sit in that appreciation, in that gratitude, and you come from that state first and foremost. So now you're in this peaceful, grateful place and reflecting on all the abundance you already have in your life. Because the quickest way to get more abundance in your experience is to already realize the abundance is already present. You might not be aware of it, which is why you're not feeling it. Just like I said, every day, 150,000 people don't wake up. And if you didn't wake up, if you woke up and the people you care about most woke up, you weren't one of them. But if you're not thinking in those terms, then you take it for granted. You take it as a given. Oh yeah, of course he woke up. It's, it's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. It's Thursday. It's a normal day. There's no such thing as a normal day. You know, you woke up, it's a miracle, period. <laughs> but if you don't see it that way, you don't feel it that, that way. So in that same thing, you kind of take an account of all these wonderful things in your life. And then the third five minutes is you go out into the future and you see this future life that you'd love to experience. You know, what the big milestones, the successes, all those things. And it could be just for the next like month. It could be the next year. It could be your whole life up until the end. But you see it from this filter of gratitude and appreciation and abundance that you went in from phase two. And then you go into phase three with this dream, vision, and you go, wow. And you see it and you feel it. And it's as if you're there, you're just living it. And then the final five minutes, you allow, just like phase one, you allow yourself to just be present with it. And what you might, what you might do is you might bring to that meditation, you know what, this is a challenge that I'm having right now. I wonder what I could do about that. And then you get to the third phase and you're imagining the future of that challenge, let's say, solved. And you might see how you did it. You might brainstorm all these different ways. And then at the end, you sit there in this presence and you sit with it. When you open your eyes at the end, A, I promise you, you feel so good. You feel grounded. Every time I do this, usually there's like tears coming down my face. <laughs> and there's this connection, this groundedness that lasts. It stays with you. But you also start seeing the people in your life, the opportunities in your life, the things that you already have in a whole different light because there's this deep gratitude for it. You don't take it for granted anymore. And then you've got this future that's expected. And that's a really powerful place to come from, expectation. Because when you expect it, you're operating from the place that that is going to happen. I know that's going to happen. There's no doubt in my mind, which means I'm going to act as if that's going to happen. And which means I'm going to make my decisions in accordance with that. Increases the likelihood it's going to happen. But if you operate from a place of, that would be nice, I'd be interested in that, but there's no commitment, then it doesn't likely happen. And so I just want, that was a, a side note. So we've got the meditation, we've got hydration, we've got stretching, we've got making sure every day I tell the people that matter most to me how much I care about them in a variety of ways. It might be words, it could be actions, it could be anything. But really just making sure that I'm slowing down and taking inventory. Am I appreciating my life? Am I appreciating this moment? Am I happy right now? Is there something need to change? You know, you look yourself in the mirror and if that voice just says like, well done, if that voice just says you're doing great, if there's no voice and there's just a peace, you're doing good. But if you look in the mirror and that voice is just thinking, you know, you don't look good. If that voice is saying, what are you doing? If that voice, like we said before, listen to it. Start listening to yourself more. So taking that internal inventory of how I'm doing. Because the only wrong way to live your life 
is in a way that doesn't actually align with who you truly are. Because at the end of the day, that's where your regret's gonna come from. And so as long as you're living your life in a way that works for you, you know, your routine might be completely different. I wanted to ask you one question. You're gonna give me one line answer on this one, uh, Jamil. After this wonderful conversation that we had with you, we got a lot of golden nuggets. And I know there's everybody has some belief system, some fears that hold them back. Do you have any fears in your life? Living a life with regret. One golden nugget, if you have, say, tell us in one or two sentences to our uh, listeners about if they have any fears, how do they overcome the fear? If you, if you have a, a burning coal in your hand and it's hot and you're grasping at it, how do you stop the pain? You let it go. You don't keep holding on to it. In that same way, if you have a fear in your life, fear is an emotion. Emotions are temporary. Fear only lasts as long as you keep breathing life into it. You keep putting attention on it. If you can act despite fear, which is the definition of courage, courage is not fearlessness. Courage is I'm afraid, but I did it anyway because I'm more afraid of what happens if I don't do it. And so if you're afraid, you know, it really is tune into the fear. Is it a ra- I know it's more than one sentence, but if it's rational fear or irrational fear, a rational fear is, hey, I don't want to go skydiving without a parachute. You know, that's a rational fear that you probably should have if you want to stay alive. Mm-hmm. Irrational fear is, you know, I'm going to go speak to a group of people and, you know, what if I die? <laughs> because you're afraid of public speaking. You know, that is not a fear that's serving you. And so just get clear, is it an irrational fear? And if it is, lean in, do it anyway. Because I promise you, you're going to grow from that experience, whether it goes the way you want it to or not. And you'll only be better because of it. Wow, wonderful. Thank you for sharing that with us. That's super awesome. Cool. Okay, I'll dive into the five rapid questions we have. It's got to be one word or one sentence. Who is the most influential person in your life? It's like my dad and my mom, both in an equal way. Okay, so both of them. Okay, all right. Uh, what is the best book you have read or recommend? Conversations with God. What's the biggest passion? Seeing people fully alive and getting to play a part in that. In one word, what does life mean to you? Love. What's your favorite food or cuisine? <laughs> I really like Thai food. How can people reach out to you? Yeah. Well, so first of all, thank you both so much for having me. It was so much fun. And so ways that I can support and serve, if people are looking for you know, content to consume on my social media, you know, Instagram is at Dr. Jamil Sayaj and Facebook is just Jamil Sayaj. My website, jamilsayaj.com. Thanks for listening to our podcast. Hope you have enjoyed listening to this episode. As promised, I have a free ebook for you. Seven Reasons Why Real Estate Syndication Build Long-Term Wealth. Please go to my website, www.lumbainvest.com to download your free copy. Please tune into our weekly podcast, Vibe, Mind, Body, and Entrepreneurship. If you're listening live, please give us hashtag live. And if you are replaying, please give our podcast hashtag replay and give us a five-star rating. See you next week in the next episode with another awesome guest.